This podcast contains strong language and adult themes. Younger listeners are advised not to listen to this podcast. For those not heeding my word, you've been warned. Ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls, let the show begin. Hello, horror fanatics. My name's Dominic, and welcome to the revamped podcast now known as Spoopy. This podcast no longer goes by the moniker Nerds Incorporated, so apologies to anyone who isn't a fan of horror. I recently realized that a good chunk of my time spent writing the show ends up being about horror and my love for the genre. So I made the tough decision and did a complete overhaul on the original podcast. On this show, we're going to be covering everything to do with the world of horror whether it be through movies, television, books, attractions, and the occult, we'll be discussing it. And every now and then, I'll be bringing on special guests from the horror community to give them the spotlight they deserve. So, without further ado, welcome to Spoopy. Hello, hello, hello. It is great to be back, and I am so excited to try something new with this podcast. My love for the world of horror continues to grow every single day, and I thought it would be a great idea to give my love for the strange and unusual a proper outlet. I already had this podcast in motion, originally titled Nerds Incorporated, but I was starting to become stressed and unhappy about the way it was turning out spending multiple hours researching news sources and different headlines to talk about was absolutely exhausting. It was all about superheroes, sci-fi, fantasy, adventure, etc., etc., many genres chunked into one big podcast. Many topics on one show is a handful, and I should have seen that from the start. But now, with this new show, I won't have to do that. I can just stick to the wonderful world of horror you might be asking yourself, Dom, my guy, my dude, why are you so infatuated with scary shit? And that's an excellent question, dear listener. The world of horror is just so captivating. Think of it this way. Look around you right now. You might be in your bedroom, your kitchen, or your car, and you see how plain the world really is. Not much to be excited about or to be curious about, right? Sure, everyone has their interests, but sometimes it gets old after a while. The, our world can be a pretty mundane place. Just think, though, what if there's more to it than we know? What if there are blood-sucking vampires wandering in the night? Or werewolves stalking unsuspecting teenage campers in the woods? What if there are ghosts, goblins, demons, and witches all around us? And we have absolutely no idea. That's what horror does. It opens us up to the question of what if, and it lets our imaginations run wild. It's an outlet for emotions, for creativity, for just about anything you can think of. It allows a person to pour raw, unadulterated passion into what they do. 
no guidelines, no worrying about being offensive, none of that PC bullshit. You can just let loose and unleash an inner demon you never knew you had. For the viewer, or listener in your case, it gives them a rush. There is a plethora of individuals in the world who loved to be scared to death. I, myself, am included in this group. I love not knowing what's around the corner, letting that anticipation build. I love coming across the paranormal and the unexplained. It makes life that much more interesting, and sometimes more tolerable. Why do I love horror? Because it gives us, gives me, an escape. It gives us an outlet. It gives us a new world to explore and a world of our own to craft. Horror gives us everything we want. Thrills, chills, you name it. It breathes life into things that were once dead, sometimes literally and figuratively. And it brings out a whole new side in each and every one of us. That's what horror means to me. And hopefully, you'll feel the same way if you're listening to this podcast. Enough of the sentimental stuff, though. Let's get into why you're really here. You want to hear about scary stuff, and I got you covered. So, without further ado, let's dive into the very first episode of Season 3 of Spoopy. I mean, technically it's Season 1, but the other podcast episodes are all still up, so let's just pretend. Also, the show has a new set of segments, so let's get to those. To help us get into the swing of things, I'm going to introduce what might become my favorite segment. Every episode, I plan to read a short story, mostly a short horror story, I find online, while giving credit to the original poster slash author. Whether these tales of terror are true or not are up for you to decide, dear listener. This story comes from Reddit user MPZ1968 and is entitled, It Really Happened. Well, let's see if it did. I would like to share with you an experience I had about ten years ago, give or take. I learned several years after this incident, what happened to me is what doctors call sleep paralysis. I say they're full of shit. It really happened. I do not use drugs outside of caffeine and nicotine. I do not drink alcohol of any sort. So this was not a hallucination caused by either of the two. Nor do I have any mental issues that I know of. Let's make that clear. Going back about a year before this incident, at the time, I was really into ghost hunting shows. I watched and recorded any and every show I could find that was just about a team of ghost hunters investigating haunted places. Some were really good, and others just sucked. No disrespect. I remember watching an episode of 
Wait, in order to post on here, I can't use any real names, places, or addresses. Okay, let's see if I can do this. I remember watching the show where the lead hunter guy is a muscle-bound jerk who doesn't like bullies, but in turn is one himself. He orders his crew around like he owns them, and they follow him blindly like sheep. I think you know the one. It's a good show. At least, it used to be. Anyway, they were investigating... Oh, shit, here we go again. <clears throat> They were investigating a bar owned by an old country singer, located in one of the southern states, who wrote a semi-popular song about a girl. Everyone in the paranormal community says this place is truly haunted. Okay, now that that's over with, back to the story. They were down in the basement, I think. It's been a while since I've seen it, and to this day is the only episode of the show I will never watch again. They were talking with some guy about what goes on there. When up in the left top corner of the screen, there appeared a shadow figure wearing a cowboy hat standing in the doorway. At this time in the show, they stopped the film and pointed out that when they were actually down there, they didn't see this figure and only discovered it while reviewing the footage. I was naive back then and didn't really know much about the paranormal. I figured... It's a TV show. What harm could it really do? Boy, was I wrong. I now know that ghosts, entities, or whatever you want to call them, can follow you home from places and are made up of energy and can travel through any energy source they wanted to. Now that I've given you that backstory to this story, let's proceed with the reason I'm actually writing this. Many years before this incident, an old friend of mine, back when I was 11 or 12, who I met through playing baseball on the same team, anyway, had recently bought a house and was looking for someone to just give his old trailer-slash-mobile home to, which is where this incident happened. We'd lost contact over the years, but unbeknownst to me, he had kept in contact with my father. My father gave him my number, he called me up and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. A free trailer just pay lot rent? Oh hell yeah, I'll take it. The trailer was old and needed work, but it was a good deal. I moved in, did some minor repairs, and a couple weeks after that, I invited my father and stepmother over for dinner. My stepmother is what she calls an old soul. She can sense when things are not right with the universe, quote-unquote. She took one look at the place and said, There's bad juju here. I don't like it. Every time she came to visit, she was nervous. She would sit still, always looking down the hallway. Eventually, she just stopped coming. She said it was too thick for her. Whatever that meant. I just thought she was nuts. Now... I know she's not. I lived there for many years, had some strange things happen. Seeing apparitions out of the corner of my eye, voices, cold breezes, etc. I just chalked it up to bad lighting, outside noises, insulation issues. Some rational explanation. Until that night. The night that changed my whole belief systems forever. The night that I will never forget. 
I was laying in bed, asleep on my back like I always do, when I woke up and noticed a black figure standing in the doorway of my bedroom. The hallway light was on. I always leave it on in case I need to make a bathroom run late at night. You know the real deal. The light from behind the figure showed it had a head, two arms, and two legs. But no eyes. It was just standing there. I blinked a couple times to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing, and sure enough, I was. Only this time when I looked at it, it was wearing a cowboy hat. The moment I realized that, I physically saw it jump from the standing position in the doorway over the top of the bed and land on top of me. My body became stiff, unable to move. Out of my peripheral vision, I could see my wife laying next to me. I tried to scream, but nothing came out. I saw the figure sitting on top of me. It reached its hand down into my chest. It started to squeeze my lungs. I couldn't breathe. It was squeezing the life right out of me. There I was, gasping for air, paralyzed and unable to make a sound. Just when I thought I was about to die, a series of intensely bright white lights started flashing all about the room, like a strobe light on steroids. I closed my eyes to shield them from the lights. It was that bright. All of a sudden, my body jerked a couple times like a convulsion, and then stopped. I opened my eyes, and it was gone. I was able to breathe again. I lied there, heavy breathing for a good twenty minutes, too scared to move. When I finally got the nerve to try, I slowly moved my right hand over to my nightstand. Still shaking with fear, I grabbed my phone to check the time, like I always do when I wake up in the middle of the night. The time was 3.48am, the witching hour. Needless to say, I did not go back to sleep that night. I cautiously got out of bed so not to wake my wife and turned on every light in the house. Every single one, including all the bedroom lights. How my wife stayed sleeping, I don't know, but thankfully she did. I made a pot of coffee, grabbed my Bible, and, st and sat at the dining room table drinking coffee, Bible in hand, until the morning came. I must have smoked at least a pack and a half of cigarettes in that three-hour span of time. I'm good with that. I'm still alive. I asked my wife if she had seen or heard anything strange the night before. She said no, and I let it at that. I didn't tell her what had happened, and I still haven't. She probably wouldn't believe me anyway. My wife and I stayed at that trailer for about two months after that. When we got the opportunity to rent an actual house, we took it. We packed all our things and moved out. On the last day we were ever at that trailer, my wife had left the vacuum cleaner in the back bedroom where this experience happened. She asked if I would go get it, said vacuum, and I agreed. Upon entering the room, a weird sense of dread fell over me, and something inside of me told me I needed to get out of there quick. I grabbed the vacuum, ran down the hallway out the front door as fast as I could have, slamming the door behind me. Then I turned around and yelled, you want this place? You can have it. I'm gone. My wife looked at me like I'd lost my mind. My father and stepmother helped us move. 
along with some friends. My stepmother insisted that we drive all the vehicles that contained our belongings over bodies of water to block any of the bad juju from coming with us to our new house. We did and have had no bad experiences in our new house. Aside from a few really bad dreams, that is. I had a couple bad dreams the first nights we were there about the trailer, but that was it. And that's my story. I don't really care if you believe me or not. I know for a fact it really happened. Interesting tale, wasn't it, listeners? A spirit that can follow you from even beyond the television screen. Absolutely chilling, if you ask me. Normally, I'll try and do more than one story per episode, spreading them out, but for this first episode, I thought it would be best to start off simple. That way, we have enough time for another segment or two. In my last episode, however, on the podcast formerly known as Nerds Incorporated, I promised a two- to three-part series on the history of Halloween Horror Nights, and I still plan to deliver on that. Halloween Horror Nights won't exactly have a segment of its own, but I still plan to cover a haunted attraction locale in at least every episode delivered during the month. Before we get into all that, however, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Well, Baxter Blue Glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. 99! The past year, we have all been glued to our devices more than ever, especially us horror fans. We spend a lot of time in front of the screen, and that can sometimes be a real problem, especially during quarantine. We spend hours watching film after film, show after show, video after video, just to get that good scare in. Trust me, I know. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue is also a force for good and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This is eyewear built for our digital age, and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kids' glasses. Click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount. This is the sign you have been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know you will love your Baxters, and we know that you will feel the difference. For us horror and Halloween fans, the past spooky season was a real bust for us. We were all stuck inside without any haunted houses to go to, any haunted attractions to attend. Major haunt events like Halloween Horror Nights were forced to close due to the widespread virus. But what if there was a way? A way to bring HHN home with you? Well, luckily, there is. Park Sense is a candle company devoted to bringing you all your favorite theme park and attraction scents, including a candle that smells just like the fog dispersed at Halloween Horror Nights, and many other Universal and Disney attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean, 
the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and many more. Those who listen to this podcast and want to partake in these amazing scents are offered a special discount code. That's right. If you use the old promo code from the previously established podcast Nerds Inc., that is N-E-R-D-S-I-N-C, you'll get 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off your first order. Park Sense. Relive the adventure. And now, back to the spoopy stuff. Where we last left off, we had just finished covering year 10 of the Halloween Horror Nights event at Universal Studios Orlando Resort. And with the Halloween event growing ever more popular as the years went on, Universal decided it was time to take a deep dive into the aspect of storytelling for the event. I mean, after all, a working movie studio needs to be quite adept in that area. As mentioned in the first part of this miniseries, Universal had just introduced the character known as Jack the Clown to the event. With character tests and the success of the character during Halloween Horror Nights 10, it was clear to Universal that they needed to expand upon this character's backstory. For Halloween Horror Nights 11, the creative team decided to introduce Jack's elusive, terrifying brother into the mix. This character is known as Eddie Schmidt, who had originally been planned to take over as the event icon for that year. The original vision for Halloween Horror Nights 11 was a gruesome and grisly one. It was more blood, more guts, and more scares than ever before. It was said that Eddie was supposed to kill Jack and take over as the master of ceremonies for this event, and the tagline was supposed to be ICU, which is a play on the acronym for Intensive Care Unit and a subtle nod to the fact that no matter where you went during this event, Eddie always had his eye on you. Quite literally, in fact, only one of his eyes can actually see, with a defective eye having a milky green color to it. He also sported a muzzle and wielded a chainsaw much like Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. More on him later. However, a major event in American history would change the course of Halloween Horror Nights 11 for the worse. Due to the 9-11 terrorist attack disaster in New York just a month earlier, Universal felt obligated to tone down the goriness as a show of respect for what had just happened. The entirety of the event had been retooled for a more sensitive public eye. Any references to blood, gore, body parts, slash organs, and severed heads, along with the word terror, for obvious reasons, had been removed from the event altogether. The character Eddie would also be dropped from the event entirely, allowing Jack to make a comeback. Instead of the tagline, I see you, it would now be Jack's back. This, however, would not be the last of Eddie's character. You can't keep a killer down that easy. As for the next event, Year 12 proved to be quite the game changer. The event made a short hop over to Universal's joint park, Universal's Islands of Adventure. The decision was made to move the event due to Islands attendance being at an all-time low, and very much struggling to make ends meet. The event now had a secondary title on top of Halloween Horror Nights, known as Islands of Fear. The event would see each of the park's islands slash sections become more evil and twisted versions of the original islands. 
Its daytime would be more cheery, while the nighttime brought with it a slew of nightmare fuel. <laughs> For Marvel's superhero island, villains would finally win the battle and take control of the city streets. Now known as Island Under Siege, dead bodies of our favorite heroes would litter the ground as scoundrels and evildoers roamed the streets, looking to cause more chaos. The ringleader of this takeover would be none other than this popular Spider-Man villain, Carnage. Comic book fans know what I'm talking about. Jurassic Park's island would see dinosaurs fully take over the area, making it a carnivorous cavalcade. The island's signature haunted house, known as Evolution, would have guests come in close contact with terrifying dinosaur-slash-human hybrids that would attempt to eat guests as they try to escape. The Lost Continent area of the park would now be called the Island of Evil Souls, which was ruled by a towering demon named Nightmare. Move over, Lady Dimitrescu. Those guys probably way taller than you. More importantly, however, this event would introduce another popular icon to the Halloween Horror Nights Rogues Gallery. In 2002, for Halloween Horror Nights 12, Universal introduced The Caretaker. However, like with Eddie, this wasn't supposed to be the original icon. The icon was supposed to be a little girl named Cindy, who had an appearance similar to Wednesday Addams from the Addams Family television show from the 1960s. The original idea for the event was for all the haunted houses and scare zones to come from the mind of this twisted child. Every island was supposed to be ruled over by one of her quote-unquote playthings. Unfortunately, after several child kidnappings in the Orlando area, the Cindy character concept was abandoned, and her father took her place. Her father, of course, being none other than the caretaker. By the way, just a side note, if you're ever interested in the specific details of haunted houses and scare zones for each year these events took place, there's a great website called hauntvault.com, that's H-A-U-N-T-V-A-U-L-T.com, that lets you see descriptions of houses and scare zones, ticket pricing, schedules, and other details from each specific year. It's definitely helped me out a lot while making this series, and if you got... Uh, if you guys are as interested in this stuff as I am, I'm sure you'll enjoy the site as well. That's kind of like free advertising for them. I'm not getting sponsored by them or anything, but... <laughs> yeah, moving on. As for year 13, another icon was said to be a hit with guests and turned out to be quite the blockbuster. Year 13 saw the introduction of the icon known as the Director. The tagline for this event was... The director will see you now. I'm gonna stuff, huh? Taking inspiration off of famous horror directors like Alfred Hitchcock and classic Universal monster movies, the design team for the event introduced Paolo Ravinsky, an indie filmmaker with a passion for making snuff films and capturing human pain and suffering on camera. His favorite means of torture included electrocution and evisceration through sharp hooks. His insatiable bloodlust made him one of the more memorable icons, much like Jack the Clown, and truly brought new meaning to the word scary. <laughs> As for the backstory for this event, Universal would hire Paolo 
to shoot his latest horror film at Islands of Adventure and to bring his vision to life, he would transform each of the islands into a living, breathing horror movie. The event, like during Year 12, would take place at Islands of Adventure once again. However, while boosting attendance at this park, it lowered ugh, attendance levels drastically at the main park. In an attempt to benefit both parks' attendance levels, Hollywood Horror Nights, for the very first time, would now take place across both parks. The event would up its house level to seven, making it the most houses Halloween Horror Nights had ever had during that current time. It also boasted four scare zones, a big show, a parade, and many of its popular attractions remained open during Halloween Horror Nights event hours. Huh. Just as a side note, this isn't year 13, this is year um, 14. I must have made a small script mistake in this one. I am glad I caught that, because <laughs> that would have been embarrassing on my part. This event also marked the first time since 1999 that it did not have an icon to drive some sort of overarching storyline. However, Jack, Eddie, the caretaker, and the director would all return to make appearances inside of the Horror Nights Nightmares Haunted House. This would also be the last year that the Festival of the... Whoa, excuse me, Festival of the Dead Parade would be at the event, and the tagline for this year was clever, given that there were two parks involved instead of one. The tagline being, what's your breaking point? Halloween Horror Nights 15 followed a similar setup, as the event took place yet again across both Universal Studios and Universal's Islands of Adventure. Luckily, we didn't go another year without an icon. Titled Tales of Terror, Halloween Horror Nights 15 proudly introduced the oddest, yet creepiest icon to date, the Storyteller. What appears to be a sweet old lady trying to soothe you to sleep with a story, turns out to be Elsa Strict, a murderous granny who told scary stories to her victims right before murdering them in gruesome, terrifying ways. It's like if Jigsaw was your grandma. You'd think it'd be cool, but in hindsight, probably not the best family member to associate with at family reunions. <laughs> the storyteller would weave quite the scare and one of the most convoluted backstories to ever be a part of a Halloween Horror Nights event. She told the tale of Terra Cruentis, which was a Mad Max-style hellscape where the Terra Queen rode her winged motorcycle out of hell to greet her subjects. She even sacrificed guests during live stage shows, but these weren't actually guests, obviously. They were Universal cast members in disguise that were a part of the theatrics. If they were real guests, Universal would have quite the lawsuit on their hands. Terra Cruentis would come to life at the Islands of Adventure Park, with each island being a different section of the Terra Queen's kingdom. There was the North Hollow, Terra Gate, Ironbone Gorge, the South Hollow, Gorewood Forest, and my favorite, Dragon Forge. No, these aren't names of lands from a fantasy novel by uh, that one guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien. I almost forgot his name. Uh, although that would be freaking cool if they were. Someone at Universal should commission a book series to coincide with the events at the park, kind of like a, a Universal's take on Disney's Kingdom Keeper series. 
I think that would be really cool. Universal even used the internet to their advantage this time, creating an early design of what is now known today as an ARG, or an alternate reality game. I'll have an episode in the future on this podcast talking about horror ARGs for sure. Those who solved the puzzles on the website and went to the designated locations in the park that coincided with these online games and puzzles would receive prizes from mysterious cloaked figures. Even those who had solved all the puzzles were invited to a special night with the Halloween Horror Nights design team to talk about the event, and they were shown exclusive concept art and props from years past. It was a very inclusive and interactive Halloween Horror Nights event, and would be one of the most memorable in Halloween Horror Nights history. Though this year might have been big on news stories, next year, in 2006, Halloween Horror Nights would celebrate the old ones. Halloween Horror Nights 16, also known as HHN Sweet 16, was a celebration of the past 16 years of the event. It incorporated every icon from the event's past and had the tagline, Horror Comes Home, like a Halloween homecoming. The event took place at only the main park and saw the return of Jack, Eddie, the caretaker, the director, and the storyteller. Every house at the event would represent previous houses and would feature at least one, if not more, icon within it. These houses were updated with new characters, high-tech effects, and a new storyline that would connect it to previous houses. These types of mazes would eventually become known as sequel houses. The icons even had their own opening night show called The Arrival. Scary, I know. The show would feature each icon performing their signature kill on an unsuspecting guest, aka a cast member undercover. Halloween Horror Nights 16 is considered to be the best in the event's long history by fans of the Halloween Horror Nights. This could be because of nostalgia, or maybe it was because of the continued storylines. Either way, it's praised a lot in the Halloween Horror Nights community. Though it was massively popular in Orlando, the same couldn't be said for Universal's Florida location. Halloween Horror Nights didn't come to Hollywood until 1997 and went until the year 2000. From 2001 to 2005, Halloween Horror Nights in Hollywood went on a hiatus of sorts due to disappointing attendance numbers. In 2006, however, Hollywood made a comeback. Unlike the Florida location, Hollywood used characters from horror films instead of original ones to keep ties to their filmmaking heritage. This had a major impact on the Florida event as 2007's Halloween Horror Nights at Orlando saw a huge deal made between Universal and New Line Cinema. New Line Cinema had given Universal the theme park rights to use Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, and Freddy Krueger for the first time at their Halloween Horror Nights events for that year. This would be the first time that both the Florida and Hollywood parks kept their Halloween Horror Nights lineups almost identical to one another. This would cause Universal to push for more IP-based characters instead of original ones for future events, IP meaning intellectual property, because of the fact that these properties were already popular amongst horror fans. Entitled Carnival of Carnage, Halloween Horror Nights 17 would be hosted yet again by the fan-favorite icon, Jack the Clown. Jack would go on to kill his old boss, Dr. Oddfellow, and become ringmaster of a newly designed and incredibly deadly 
traveling carnival. He went around the country looking for a terrifying axe to add to his carnival. Along the way, he found Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Leatherface, who for some reason agreed to be a part of this whole charade. Not sure why, though. They, they only really want to kill. They really don't have a motive. I mean, if you really dive into those characters' backstories, Jason does it because of his mom, Freddy does it because of the way he was killed, and Leatherface, well, Leatherface is just fucked up. <sighs> the three movie killers would receive their own houses, along with a thing, assimilation, and dead silence, the curse of Mary Shaw. The number of houses grew from seven to eight in order to help with long lines and long wait times, and would go on for a record 23 nights. Holy shit. Halloween Horror Night 17 received critical acclaim that year, mostly due to the fact that three of the most terrifying silver screen killers were included in this event. As for year 18, Universal thought it best to return to original scares. Halloween Horror Nights 18 saw an elaborate backstory being whipped up by the creative team, as well as a brand new icon to accompany it. If you're a fan of urban legends and cryptids, this year's for you. Known as Reflections of Fear, Bloody Mary made her Universal Studios Parks debut as the icon for that year's event. Along with it came a new take on this Titan of Terror, a brand new backstory for this character. It goes as such. In 1958, Dr. Mary Agana was a psychiatrist who would perform twisted experiments on her patients using their fears and phobias to help cure them of what, whatever their fear was or whatever they were afraid of. With each case that came to pass, it was clear to Dr. Agana that her mental state and her sanity were slowly decaying. Every patient she attempted to cure ended up dying at her hands. And this didn't really help much when it came to Mary's sanity. Somehow, this descent into madness opened up a gate for her into a supernatural realm, a mirror reality where everything wasn't as it seemed. The event showed many artistic renditions of Bloody Mary, as well as twisted takes on many urban legends and folklore. The realm of the mirror fed off of the fears of those who entered and showed horrifying versions of characters from tales like Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. Returning to silver screen terrors for the following year, Halloween Horror Nights 19 decided to drop the originality and go for the popularity. Entitled Rip from the Silver Screen, a new icon for the event was introduced. Man, there's a lot of these guys, aren't there? Whew. Working at the Universal Palace Theater, Julian Browning made his Universal debut as the undead icon known as the Usher. A theater, it, The theater itself is supposed to be an evil entity, using Julian as its agent of chaos in order to enforce pop, uh, proper theater etiquette. You don't comply, you die. The event showcased houses based on popular horror films like Saw, Chucky, also known as Child's Play, and the Wolfman reboot, whose release was planned to coincide with the Halloween and Horror Nights event for that year. Another house, called Silver Screams, incorporated horror films like, get this, The Fan of the Opera, My Bloody Valentine 3D, The Thing, The Strangers, Evil Dead, and Shaun of the Dead. I mean, one of these things is not like the other, am I right? <laughs> 
Universal uh, monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein also received their own houses, and other houses were original Universal creations. Kind of like, uh, here's a good example, leave it to Cleaver. It was a house about a cannibal butcher looking to keep his business alive and his deadly secret hidden for as long as possible from the town he worked in. Sounds pretty intense, right? I mean, I would if I went through that house. People at the time might have thought that the event couldn't get much bigger than this. But, as per usual, they were wrong. Dead wrong. And that is where we're going to end for this episode and pick up next episode where we talk about Halloween Horror Nights Double X, a.k.a. Halloween Horror Nights 20, 20 Years of Fear. And that is going to do it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very, very much for tuning into another episode in the series, but technically now the first episode of Spoopy, a horror podcast. You can listen to us wherever horror podcasts are available, or just, you know, regular podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, uh, Pocket Casts, you name it. We're on a lot of platforms, seven or eight to be to be specific. Um, Give us nice reviews wherever you can. Uh, Share this with your friends and family. See if they are interested in horror just as much as we are. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Stay tuned, guys.